0: everyone this is christian weatherford
1: and this is ellen weatherford
0: and you're listening to just the zoo of us a podcast where we rate your favorite animals our favorite animals
1: your mom's favorite animals
0: especially hers
1: <laughs> our mom's favorite animals
0: each animal we review on the show we will rate out of 10 based on three categories effectiveness ingenuity and aesthetics
1: And a quick structural note to make, we talked about this the other day, Um, up until now, we've been compiling all three of those scores into an overall score, and um, we're not going to do that anymore.
0: Yep. Average of arbitrary was not great, I guess.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we were factoring the aesthetic score in with the effectiveness and ingenuity score, which was fun and comprehensive, but unfair, honestly. (laughs) We're a new podcast. We're only on episode 14. So Woo. we're learning a little bit more each time. We're getting a little bit better as we go. So thank you for staying with us on this
0: journey. Yay. We are not zoological experts. We do a lot of research and we try our best to make sure we're presenting information from trustworthy sources. So if we get it wrong.
1: Call us out. We'll fix
0: it. Along with your feedback in general.
1: Oh, yeah. Please do let us know what you think. I thrive on validation. I really just... <laughs> I... I i do it all for the gram, basically.
0: (laughs) Even if it's fury over the lack of an average.
1: Oh, please don't tell me bad things. (laughs) Please give me all of the feedback as long as it's positive. Thank you.
0: It's okay. You can can send the bad stuff to me.
1: Yeah, send all of your negative, send all of your criticism directly to Christian Weatherford. (laughs)
0: Thank you. Okay, so.
1: So last week I went first. Okay. Which means that Christian, it is your turn to go first.
0: All right, I'm going to just apologize to everyone ahead of time.
1: (laughs) What could possibly warrant such a foreword?
0: I feel like this might even warrant a trigger warning, maybe. I don't know. What are we
1: working with here? All right,
0: so this week... uh, (laughs) Let's hear it. I chose to go with a human botfly.
1: There it is. Slam dunk.
0: So lots of folks are familiar with botflies in general. That is actually a term for a family of different flies that do roughly the same thing. I chose this one, though. The specific species, human botfly, scientific name, Dermatobia hominis. <laughs> Ooh,
1: I don't like those prefixes.
0: <laughs> yep. So, uh... In terms of Latin words in there, you'll see the word for skin. Yep, saw that one. And then also human, or mm. of, of human,
1: Yeah. I should say. noticed that. <laughs> sure
0: did. The other part is life. I don't know. Maybe it's... That's fine. Lives in skin. Lives in human, human skin. Great. <laughs>
1: We're off to a fantastic start.
0: Mm. So getting into it, I'm getting my information from two sources. Hell. Yeah. <laughs> The first one being an article titled Human Botfly, hosted on the website of UFs, that that is the University of Florida's Entomology and Nematology Department, found at entnemdept.ufl.edu. Cool. The second one being from animaldiversity.org. So let's talk about some basic facts of the human botfly. So first of all, their adult size is 12 to 18 millimeters long. That's around half an inch. Pretty big fly, yeah. Is it? I think so, half yeah. Half an
1: inch? That's what, fingernail size, maybe?
0: Bee size, I'd say. A bee? <laughs> <laughs> a, sm- a smaller bee, I'd say. This one is located... So it is naturally found in Mexico all the way south to Paraguay and northeast Argentina. So that is... Southern North America all the way to almost all of South America.
1: My heart goes out to the people that live in the area affected by this animal.
0: Yes, yes. Notable evolutionary relatives, other cursed (laughs) botflies. As I mentioned earlier, there are many different species that are similar. Now, normally, I would go category by category, kind of putting things in each category. But I feel like for this, I have to talk about the full picture first, and then I'll just kind of... Place them into the categories.
1: This is a high concept animal. Yep. There's a lot to process.
0: So let's start from the beginning. Okay. You have a female adult human botfly and she wants to lay her eggs. Okay. Here's where she does it.
1: Don't.
0: (laughs) Don't do this to me. So you might be thinking they might lay eggs on people directly. Sure. Makes sense. Not the case. They are too big. You would probably notice them. Here's what they do. They lay their eggs on biting insects like uh-huh. mosquitoes.
1: Oh, that's sneaky. Yes. That's a low blow.
0: So these adult flies, female flies, will catch things like mosquitoes in midair while flying.
1: Catch them?
0: Catches them and then lays eggs on them. Ugh. So now you got a mosquito with mm-hmm. eggs affixed to it.
1: Sure. And she just like lets it go, like <laughs> yep, just, unleashes it into the world. Yep,
0: go on now. <laughs> She's
1: now weaponized a mosquito more than it already was.
0: So we have this egg on a mosquito. Now, that mosquito, doing what mosquitoes do, will go find usually a warm blooded animal. That's their thing. To go feed on. That's what they do. Let's say a human in this case, <laughs> to paint that carnal picture. Great. Finds a human, lands, starts feeding. This causes a temperature rise of the mosquito, which the egg responds to by hatching.
1: It's oh, so it's hatching now. Yes, it's hatching now.
0: Okay. Yes. So egg hatches, larva falls to the surface of the mammal, and then the mosquito flies away.
1: Bye. Not my problem anymore. <laughs> you handle this.
0: The so next step, the larva crawls its way into the bite wound.
1: Hate it. Hate yes. that it's doing that.
0: <laughs> and in some other cases, it can find its way into hair follicles. Ooh. Yes. But for this scenario, let's say the bite wound. So, it crawls into this bite wound and starts to grow, getting bigger.
1: I don't like it.
0: And uglier. <laughs> <laughs> into a bigger larva stage. So as it gets bigger, it is eating tissue. It has to breathe through that hole in the skin?
1: No, it doesn't. Stop it.
0: <laughs> so it has a breathing, I guess, hole at the at the end of it close to the to the skin. A
1: snorkel, sure. Sure. A meat snorkel.
0: <laughs> and it has to breathe. Like it takes air from outside as it I guess eats you. Great. It's awful. And Love they get it. bigger, they get bigger. They grow spines that makes them difficult to fall out or pull out.
1: Wait, spines as in, like, bikes?
0: Yes. uh, Around its body. Yes. Oh, no. Yes, for the purpose of not falling out or being difficult to pull out. Oh, dear. And then when they get to a particular point, they themselves choose to exit and just fall to the ground.
1: On their own terms, sure. Yeah. It's their time now.
0: Yep. From there, they'll pupate and then eventually turn into another adult fly. Great. The circle (laughs) of awful
1: (laughs) I hate it so much.
0: So why
1: are you doing this to me?
0: It's pretty bad. It's pretty bad.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So so while this one is called the human botfly, it doesn't just do humans. It does, you know, domestic animals or even wild animals. But I guess this one has a particular association with running in run run ins with people.
1: Glad to know nobody's safe.
0: It's awful. So, yeah. Um.
1: Can we start over?
0: <laughs> <laughs> this week, Christian has nothing.
1: <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> Christian didn't come up with any notes this week.
0: <laughs> Hate how that
1: happened. Anyway, skip, 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 skip.
0: So uh, you can go on YouTube, not you and specifically, but people in general can go on YouTube to to see videos of people getting these pulled out. Why? So this is along the same vein as, you know pimples being popped is it the Splinter. same vein it's though the same i'm telling you is it you. the same i know this because i watched one of these videos and it took me down a rabbit hole of that kind of stuff like you know that suggested next thing
1: is that what you've been doing this whole time
0: yeah that's where i was um oh. emoji vomiting
1: oh yeah yeah uh <laughs> I was working late this evening, and uh, Christian was doing his notes while I was working late. And Christian was basically sending distress signals <laughs> to me over Messenger while I, doing his notes. I have
0: made a mistake, but I am <laughs> but I am too devoted to this podcast to turn back now.
1: I know he's <laughs> <laughs> really committing to the bit,
0: uh, way past reason. Yeah. So if you want to see what these things look like, uh, proceed with caution.
1: I don't recommend it.
0: So, now I'm going to get into our actual categories.
1: Great.
0: (laughs) Can't wait. Effectiveness. So, this is how good do they do the things they do. Uh, So, these are like natural adaptations and that sort of thing. Sure. I'm giving them a 6 out of 10. That's like okay. So, they're very well equipped to do their whole life cycle. Yeah. Except when they choose a human. (laughs)
1: When they when they choose a human,
0: yeah, and this is because with animals, like other animals, you know, they don't have a way to remove them, right? Right. But with humans, we do. Like True. We, we have the with the we have the intelligence and the tool use capability to remove them. Yeah. So we countered them pretty hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: I guess they did choose a not a great
0: target, right? Yeah. But again, humans are not the only ones this species uses. It's just a.
1: Well, yeah. I guess if they're really relying on mosquitoes as their deployment mechanism, they're not really choosing the that's human. That's true. It's that's really a... the mosquito that's choosing the victim.
0: That's true. So I, I guess it's not really the species of botfly that's choosing the humans. It's whatever species of mosquito that are most used by this species. That's interesting. I
1: mean, yeah, I mean, like the mosquito is the one that's picking the victim. The botfly uh... really just leaves it up to the mosquito to choose, which is honestly a dumb move. Mosquitoes are not bright
0: i wonder if the botfly fly is smart enough to pick the female mosquitoes right because the females are the ones that bite
1: i would have to assume because otherwise why bother yeah. right oh, like yeah. but i don't know they put way too much trust in mosquitoes to make a good call there <laughs> <laughs> just putting entirely <laughs> too much faith in a really dumb bug not,
0: i'm not stealthy enough you are go go get them
1: <laughs> this is uh, the party sending the druid in on a stealth mission because <laughs> they can <laughs> wild shape Yikes. into a spider.
0: So yeah, uh, 6 out of 10 effectiveness. Ingenuity is the next category. This is the one where, you know, how, how do they do smart things like using tools, making plans, scheming.
1: I mean, this whole thing kind of sounds like...
0: Yeah, so, so again, another 6 out of 10 here. This
1: kind of sounds like a just a massive evil plot.
0: Yeah, so kind of going back to that laying eggs on biting insects thing, I think that's a pretty good point there for ingenuity. Um, Right,
1: because it's like, I'm too big, so I have to let somebody a little more sneaky than me do my bidding for me. And then
0: how the eggs know to hatch when it senses the temperature change that correlates with the mosquito feeding.
1: I have to imagine that's maybe something built into the egg physically. Probably, yeah. Like a a heat activated.
0: I think fleas do something similar
1: oh yeah where they're like activated by heat yeah something like that
0: oh i hate please too yeah
1: i know thanks for the unsettling <laughs> content this is a challenging episode for me
0: so for aesthetics which is our last one. Oh um,
1: boy bring uh, it home
0: i have two different scores <laughs> <laughs> We really need to break this one down. So first one is for the adults. Uh I give a 3 out of 10 for adults.
1: Perfect. That's probably the best they could have hoped for. That's
0: because as an adult, they have a yellow face, uh, a metallic blue abdomen, and orange legs. Uh, And each body segment is covered in hairs. And all of this combined makes them look like a bumblebee.
1: That's not that bad. Bumblebees are kind of cute.
0: Yeah but not quite, right? So something that's kind of offsetting about these guys is in their adult form, they don't have any mouth parts. Any? They don't feed as adults. What? Yes. How
1: do they stay alive? They
0: don't. What? <laughs> or at least that's my assumption. I'm kind of deriving that. The only fact I saw is that they don't have mouth parts as adults and they also don't feed as adults.
1: That's got to be like a massive effectiveness deduction. That's got to be a big knock, right? Once well, you're think... like alive, once you're like an adult and alive, you just immediately die. Well, I think I
0: think that's pretty common in insects, actually, where, you know, the adult form doesn't eat. And that form is purely just to reproduce, and that's it.
1: Oh, you know what? Luna moths are like that.
0: Yeah. Um, so, yeah, 3 out of 10 for the adult form. For the larva form, specifically the one that you'll find in your skin. <laughs> Zero. Thank
1: you. Uh, Thank you.
0: I believe this marks the first zero of the show. This
1: is our first zero.
0: And if, you you know, folks at home, if you go look for a picture of the larva of these things, I think you'll agree with me.
1: I think that the context in which you would see the botfly larva itself warrants a negative score, in fact, I would say, (laughs) because it's just such a, a nauseating sort of experience to observe.
0: Yeah. But even without the context, they're not. Yeah, by themselves, they're not not cute. Especially the little spines that I mentioned earlier. That just makes it so much worse. I describe them as little flesh drills is what they look like.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Can I delete you saying that? The problem is I could cut you saying that out of the audio recording of this podcast, but I would still know that you said it. I would still have flesh drills in my brain. Yep. So, thank you for that.
0: (laughs) Um, Some miscellaneous info.
1: Yeah, I really need to learn more about these.
0: (laughs) Conservation status. Oh my God! (laughs) (laughs) I tried here. So, in every system that tracks conservation status, they have no special status.
1: Why bother?
0: Which I assume to mean probably too many.
1: Yes, any amount of them is too many. (laughs) They have to be stopped.
0: (laughs) And my final little fact about these guys is how they're usually removed by humans. So, earlier I mentioned they need to breathe. So, most treatments involve depriving them of the ability to breathe. Sure. So, that could involve putting some sort of adhesive over the skin, over, you know, where it's at, or even using petroleum jelly, that sort of thing.
1: Doesn't that just, I mean, that would just kill it, right? Or would it actually, like, move? Would it, like, leave? Oh, no.
0: Um,
1: well. Will that kill it? And then you just have to take out the dead yeah, basically. Larva.
0: Yeah, yeah. So that'll kill it after about a day. And then they'll use tweezers uh, or maybe even a more surgical procedure to make the hole a little bit bigger. The danger there is infection.
1: I mean, you've already got a bot fly in you. Like, you can't get any lower than that. That's You're already at rock bottom. It's rough. You can't experience anything worse than that. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> so these can be especially harmful in cattle in the range that we're talking about. So you could find a cow with literally... Thousands. No. Literally thousands.
1: No. No. (laughs) No. I'm deleting this whole episode. It's bad.
0: And then, so when we're talking about cattle, then it's ruined. Like they can't butcher that. Right. The hide is useless. Yeah. (laughs) With all of these holes in it.
1: Here's my thought have a decoy cattle, have one cow that is just covered in bot flies, Mm -hmm. and you just write that cow off as a loss. And then keep the rest of your cows bot fly free.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's rough. Um, yeah. Cattle, dogs, cats, primates, not good. So if you ever find yourself in Central or South America, best to wear protective clothing and insect repellent.
1: You want to know something funny I've heard about these dudes? What's that? There is a Radiolab episode that has a segment about a person who gets a bot fly larva um, in their head, on like on their head. Um, yeah. under their hair and they discuss some kind of home remedies for the botfly larva uh-huh. and one of the things that they mention is talked about as kind of like how you mentioned a common way to take care of botfly larva is to suffocate them a lot of people will sort of prescribe um, applying meat to the where the <laughs> to the larval site mm-hmm. and kind of like holding a piece of meat like raw meat over the site where the larva is because not only will it, it blocks off the larva's air source, but also they will tunnel out through and like attach themselves to that meat instead of your muscle.
0: See, I, I have a hard time imagining that because basically again, flesh drill where <laughs> one end is mouth and the other end is breathing tube.
1: Yeah. I guess so they're, they're not w- really great at going in reverse, yeah, right? They would
0: have to, well, I guess they could just, shimmy their way out yeah. and then go back up I guess I don't they know. Could just
1: wiggle their way out. It's I been, hate that a lot though. Yeah, yeah. I Hate that I said that.
0: Which remind like, were you talking about this reminds me. So the part about where you're suffocating them only works in accessible parts of the body. Now these guys can get into some not so accessible parts of the body. Mhm. Like your eyelids? We're not going there. Yep. <laughs>
1: We're not doing
0: that. <laughs> We're not doing that. So there are more specialized ways to get them out when you, when it's just a part of the body. You, you just don't have a way to do that suffocation. I'm going to stop talking about the bot fly now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I wish you had said that uh, 20 minutes ago. <laughs> no sweeter words have you ever spoken to me.
0: <laughs> so, to review their score, effectiveness, 6 out of 10, Bad. ingenuity, 6 out of 10. Bad aesthetics i'm gonna say zero out of ten
1: very bad bad all around congratulations babe this is the worst animal
0: we did it we found the worst one podcast over (laughs) we got it out of the way
1: yeah this you know what though this is kind of the gold standard this is now our floor right Mm -hmm. like this is as bad as an animal can get it cannot get worse than this
0: this is our zero so, hun, um, what animal do you have this week that will lift our spirits?
1: Yeah, thanks for really decimating the vibe of everything. <laughs> so this week, I have something way more pleasant to talk about than the bot fly. Yay! So that's probably a good thing.
0: Is it two botflies? Oh
1: my god! That's twice as bad! <laughs> well, I guess two times zero is still zero, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, this week I'm going to talk to you about the cow nose stingray. Ooh. Yes, this is the the scientific name is Rhinoptera bonasus. The species was submitted to us by Miranda Love, one of our listeners. Thanks, Miranda. Thank you, Miranda. So I'm getting my information about the cow nose ray from the Jacksonville Zoo. Yes. Where you can see very many of them and you can touch and pet them and they're delightful. Pit, pit also from the Florida Museum and the Monterey Bay Aquarium. Who, by the way, if you don't follow the Monterey Bay Aquarium on social media, you're wasting your time because (laughs) the Monterey Bay Aquarium's social media presence is phenomenal. They posted something today about Shark Week, and it was like one of those emoji like it was like a dude made out of emojis but all the emojis were sharks
0: <laughs> Very good.
1: yeah it was really funny <laughs> but so yeah monterey bay aquarium is pretty much my favorite ever i have never been there but i am a huge fan because of their social media presence we'll
0: have to visit sometime
1: we will that's on the bucket list anyway the cow nose ray if you've never seen a stingray before a stingray is shaped like a diamond or a square really it has triangular wings across the side of its body, has a long rigid tail trailing behind. Uh, now the Kaunos ray is either brown or gray on top and they're white on the bottom. And they have a really distinctive face that sets them apart from other stingrays. You can tell that it's a cow nose ray by the fact that it has these two lobes along the front edge where you would consider its face to be, basically between the eyes, Mm -hmm. giving it the appearance of having like an indented nose. Yeah. That's why they call it the cow nose ray is because it has that little, it looks like the emoticon colon and then the number three you know like a little cute face Aww. emoticon that's what it looks like but now that can be a little bit confusing because to us we're usually looking at it from above and that looks like it's like nose where its mouth would be and that it's not that's just like the front edge of its body hmm. yeah so these cow nose rays are they get up to three feet or 0.9 meters long okay yeah they're they're a decent size for a stingray. Actually, they're kind of a little bit small, but um, is that
0: is that three feet from like nose to tail?
1: Oh, sorry, no, that's their wingspan. Oh, well, their wingspan referring to from one side to the other. Sure, sure. So about okay. three feet across. So it's a it's a decent size, but it's it's not the biggest. It's a little bit on the small side for a stingray. Yeah. Uh, you're going to find these in the Atlantic Ocean, usually in more like kind of shallow water. You're probably not going to find them like way, way, way out there. You'll find them a little bit closer to the shore and um, in salty or brackish water. Mm. Um, one of the areas where you're likely to find them is in the Chesapeake Bay. But I'll, I'll kind of talk about their location a little bit because that's actually kind of interesting. Mm. Their taxonomic family is called Myliobatidae. This is a family of stingrays called the eagle rays. Ooh. Yeah. So there are 220 different species of stingrays. That's a lot. Yeah. Very many of them. So it belongs to this one particular family called eagle rays. And stingrays are more closely related to sharks than like other fish. I can see that. Sharks are their closest relatives. So like sharks, they have a cartilage-like skeletal system. Mm -hmm. It's not a skeleton the way we think of it because it's mostly just made of cartilage, similar to sharks in some ways. So I'm going to get into my rating. For effectiveness, which, by the way, I don't know if you mentioned it earlier because you kind of played around with the format a little bit. But (laughs) effectiveness we typically define as the physical adaptations that an animal has that allow it to do the things it's trying to do a little bit better. So, for the cow ray, I'm giving it an effectiveness rating of 6 out of 10. Okay. It's okay. It's okay. So, cow rays are always on the lookout for mollusks, crustaceans, snails, things like that. So, the way that they detect prey is kind of interesting. They have a couple of different ways. We actually... You mentioned... In your segment on the goblin shark, the ampullae of Lorenzini. Yeah. So this is a trait that sharks and stingrays have. So the cow nose rays do have these as well. These are electroreceptors, so cells that are sensitive to electric fields. And those cells detect vibrations in the water, which alerts them to the movement of both prey and predators. Very so good. they kind of have a grasp on what's going on around them because of these electroreceptors. Hmm. Now the, the these electroreceptors are so sensitive that stingrays can detect the heartbeat of clams under the sand. Wow. Yeah, extremely sensitive. Hmm. So they're very good at seeing those things. They also have a really strong sense of smell. So they can smell their prey that's hiding under the sand or anything like that. And once they've detected the presence of their prey, they will use their nose and their pectoral fins to dig into the sand and kick the sand up, stir it up a little bit and reveal the mollusks underneath. Now, once they've found their prey, what they do is they suck it up into their mouth. Now, when you're looking at it from above, you might be inclined to assume that the mouth is along the front of the stingray because I don't know. That's just what I always assumed, but their mouth is actually on the bottom of the stingray, Mm -hmm. probably a little bit close to the middle of the stingray. So they um, suck the prey up into their mouth on the bottom of them and they're actually while they're doing that they're filtering sediment out through their gills so they're bringing everything in but they're pushing like sand and rocks and stuff back out through their gills
0: that's smart
1: yep and then what they do is they so they're filtering out food from non-food once they've got their food narrowed down they crush the mollusks with their specialized teeth and spit out the crushed bits of shell. Hmm. So now I want to talk about Stingray teeth because I guess I knew that they had teeth, but I didn't really mm, get what was going on in there. Okay. So I looked it up a little bit, and it's wild. (laughs) It is crazy. So their teeth don't look like what you would imagine when you think of teeth. Usually when you think of teeth, you think of like little bony protrusions, Right? Little bits that stick out that you can use to chew things. Those don't look like that at all. So rather than having teeth the way we think of them, each of their jaws has a dental plate Mm. lined with 11 to 13 rows of teeth. Now, these teeth are shaped like tiles. They're flat, and they're wide, and they're geometrically shaped. Oh. So the ones in the middle of the row are very long, and they're hexagons. But as they go out towards the edge of the row, they decrease in the number of sides. So the ones in the middle are hexagons. The ones closer to the edge are pentagons. And then the ones on the outside are tetragons, or squares. They're
0: squares. huh
1: so, it's, it's actually really, really cool. Like, look up a picture of stingray teeth.
0: Like right now? No, not right now. Well... But I, I kind of want to. Okay.
1: Well, <laughs> if you're listening, yes. But you're doing the podcast right now, so no. Oh, beans. Sorry. Um, you can do it later. Yes. So, <laughs> so yeah. Their, their teeth look like a set of tiles along these plates, and the... Stingray basically just mashes those plates together and those tile teeth uh, just crush the shells to bits. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it is really cool. I hadn't thought about, I guess I'd never really thought about what their teeth must look like. I knew they had teeth, but I didn't really know what they were all about. So Hmm. very interesting that they have uh, adapted their teeth in that way. So other than how they eat their prey, they have to defend themselves somehow. Like other stingrays, the cow nose ray has a barbed spine on their tail. And they can use that to defend themselves with a really painful sting. Hmm. So luckily, they usually swim pretty close to the surface of the water, which is kind of surprising since they are bottom feeders. They have to eat on the bottom, but they actually, when they're not feeding, they like to swim on the top. So that minimizes their risk of being stepped on. And also the fact that the spine lays flat along the base of the tail makes it really unlikely that you're going to accidentally touch it or get um, unexpectedly stung by mm. this particular stingray. The stinger is like attached to their body.
0: So does does it have venom? Or? Yes. Oh, okay.
1: It does. So the stinger does actually produce venom and that venom makes their sting extremely painful. But it's typically not fatal to humans. Hmm. Yeah. It's really just to make you not want to mess with them so bad. They will actually only sting when they're harassed. So you kind of have to really try to get this thing to sting you. They typically won't. But something else that's interesting is that the stinger, it can be broken off, but it regrows.
0: Oh. Mhm. Huh. It,
1: it regrows over time, kind of like human fingernails. Interesting. Yeah, it's very similar to human fingernails. I took a couple of points off, you know, for the fact that their stinger limits their defense capabilities a little bit. There's not a ton they can do with their stinger because it's, like, attached to their body. It's pretty small. It's Mm. just not a whole lot. They're kind of easy pickings for, like, sharks and cobia and stuff like that. But I also took a couple of points off of their effectiveness because their populations are really, really fragile. And this is because their population grows very slowly. Mm. So... Each stingray only has one offspring per year. Wow. Just one. One baby. And each baby stingray takes a really long time to reach sexual maturity. So it can take five to seven years for a stingray to become an adult. Hmm. Yeah. So it takes a very, very, very long time for their population to grow. And that means that they're very vulnerable and kind of fragile it takes a lot for them to recover from any sort of like particular hit to their numbers so that's my six out of ten for their effectiveness very cool now for ingenuity i gave them i actually gave them a seven out of ten which is higher than i expected to give a stingray but i gave them a seven out of ten because they are migratory stingrays oh. they migrate so cow rays group up into schools of thousands at a time So thousands of these cow rays all get together and they swim north in the late spring. And then in the late fall, they swim back south when Mm. it starts to get chilly. They like the warm water. So they'll swim up north when it's like summertime and it's kind of warm. But then when it starts to get cold, they come down south where the waters are still warm. So I was wondering, why don't they just stay? If they like it warm, why don't they just stay in the south where it's warm pretty much all the time, right? The reason that they do do that is because their nursery habitat where they give birth to their pups is in the Chesapeake Bay. Oh. The Chesapeake Bay is in the Maryland and Virginia sort of area up north. Okay. So, really, really cool. You can see pictures and videos of these schools of just thousands of stingrays coming into the Chesapeake Bay to have their babies. And oh. boy, it's beautiful. It's a heavily photographed um, affair. Hmm. So, yeah, that's that's kind of why I gave them a pretty good effectiveness score, because they migrate to stay with warm water, and they have like a particular place where they like to lay their pups, but then they come back down to keep up with the seasons. Um, it's been said that also like the angle of the sun is a factor in when they decide to switch, but I don't know. They just like warm
0: water, and they like
1: to follow it where it goes.
0: Do they do live birth, or is it a, an egg of some sort?
1: Yeah, they do give birth to live young. So it's very cute. That brings me to aesthetics. I also actually gave them two scores. So I gave them eight out of ten when you're above them looking down. (laughs) Now when you're below them looking up,
0: different story. It's like a selfie from a very low angle. Yeah, it's your
1: MySpace <laughs> angle. They really have like a flattering... <laughs> they have like a flattering uh, side. So if you're looking... If you're above them and you're looking down, which honestly we most likely are. Usually, if they're swimming yeah. in the water. If you're above them looking down, they're so cute. They're just... They have that little smiley face. And... Well, what you would interpret to be its face when you're above it. Mm-hmm. They just have a cute little smile. And they're so sweet. And they got their little flappy wings and they're just precious but when you're below them and you're looking up at them mm -mm, no (laughs) you you can see like its mouth is actually in a really strange spot and it's very like bumpy and weird looking from the bottom so three out of ten from below (laughs) yeah from when you're below and you're looking up they're kind of grotesque I don't think they're cute at all
0: from that angle. I think most people will see them at this angle in aquariums when they're like swimming up against the glass and that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, this is where you would see them. So I don't think they're that cute when they're doing that. But when you're looking out at them, when you're looking down on them from above, they're very cute. So, yeah, just to recap, that is a 6 out of 10 for effectiveness, a 7 out of 10 for ingenuity. And I'm going to go with the higher one, 8 out of 10 for aesthetics. All this right. is a cute little guy. So... That brings us to their conservation status. They are near threatened. Hmm. They're not threatened, but they're near it. Okay. So as mentioned previously, they have a really long turnaround time on reproduction that makes them really vulnerable to overfishing. It's very easy to like fish too many of them, and then they have a hard time recovering from that. However, right now their populations are believed to be increasing. That's they're- good. There are more, there are becoming more of them over time. And this is believed to be due to the decrease in populations of sharks, which prey on stingrays. So the increase in stingray populations was thought to be harming oyster populations in the Chesapeake Bay, and they were kind of worried that there were too many stingrays, and the stingrays were eating all the oysters, which, of course, are a big thing in that area sure. um, for you know economic reasons, and it's just a, a big thing people eat up there. But actually, whether the oysters were declining because of the stingrays is still kind of up for debate. People are kind of like, eh, I don't think it's because of the stingrays. Sure. So cow nose ray populations are actually climbing right now. Well, good for them. Yeah. They are still, though, very, you know, fragile and susceptible to changes like overfishing. So still be careful with them. But their numbers are doing okay right now. They're doing pretty good.
0: So do people eat them? I yeah, wonder.
1: you can eat them. Huh. I mean, I probably
0: wouldn't recommend it. But... I mean, I'd try it,
1: I guess. Um, you know. I mean, you can, but it's not, like, popular. Hmm. It's not, I don't, I don't know. It's probably, I probably would hate it, but well, I yeah. hate seafood, so. <laughs> I mean, that just goes without saying. Despite the fact that they have a really, really painful sting, cow-nose rays are a really popular choice for interactive exhibits at zoos and aquariums. These are usually touch tanks where guests are allowed to come up and feed and pet the stingrays. So cow rays are a really popular choice for those. First of all, because they're really, really cute. They're so cute. But second of all, because they're actually very docile. Even like in the wild, they're kind of shy. They really don't want too much to do with people, but it takes a lot to agitate them. They're very chill. They're very cool animals. They have a good personality.
0: So in touch tanks, though, their their stinger is trimmed? Is that how they do it?
1: Yes. So the stinger can be clipped off. Okay. So I was wondering, I had seen this information floating around that the stingray's stinger gets removed so that the guests don't get stung by the stingray. And I knew that the stinger would grow back, but I wasn't really sure how long that takes or how often that is. So I asked my friend Amy, who has experience working at a zoo, how often they clip their stingray stingers. And she said that just like our fingernails, they grow at different rates for each particular stingray. Some grow back quicker than others, but typically it's every couple of weeks. Wow. Yeah, every few weeks or so, each stingray will need to have its stinger re clipped.
0: I wonder how that process goes.
1: Amy says they trim them with dog nail trimmers. Oh. Yeah, so the same sort of device that you would use to trim a dog's nail, which makes sense. It's, I guess, a similar shape. It's like a, it doesn't have that curved shape that a dog's nail has to it, but sure. it's like a, yeah, it just makes sense. Although, if it makes you feel any better about it, there's no, like, nerve endings in there or anything. It doesn't hurt them. That's good. Yeah. It's not painful to them. They probably don't love being, like, handled and, like, probably... I would imagine they have to, like, hold them down in some capacity. And they probably don't love that. They probably
0: just net them. Like, they, they just like, pull them out with a net and then... Don't-
1: Now, we have seen, uh, it wasn't a cow nose ray, but you remember at at the aquarium in Epcot, we saw them training the stingrays to go to points.
0: Oh, yeah. Remember
1: that? The trainer would be underwater in a dive suit and would have this giant, like, looked like a dry erase board or something. Mm -hmm. It was just like a giant plastic sign, basically, and it had a big orange circle on it. And the stingray was trained to swim onto that circle and stay there there so that the trainer could like do observations check on it see everything going okay so we have seen stingrays that have been trained to go to points and stay on the point so they have that on our overwatch teammates who (laughs) apparently cannot be trained to stay on a point
0: i don't know how i didn't see that burn coming (laughs) anyway
1: (laughs) yeah so we have seen stingrays that were trained to behave So I would imagine they probably do something similar for the cow nose. Just like have them trained to stay in a particular spot so they can clip their stinger.
0: I don't know. Because, you know, touch tanks, you know, are much, much smaller than that kind of aquarium. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. Maybe.
1: Yeah. But I would imagine they probably have like another area where they can take them to that's not part of the touch tank. I don't know. I'm not sure. Well, anyway, they're very, very commonly seen. And if you have a local zoo or aquarium near you that has a touch tank you can probably go there and see a cow nose ray because they're very popular in those and give them a scritch They, they seem to like it yeah so we have probably quite a few times pet stingrays in different touch tanks all over the place and they have really delightful little personalities some of them will even kind of circle around and like They'll see where your hand is. And so, like, they'll swim on the bottom. And then, when they get close to your hand, they'll come up to the very top so that you can reach them. And they'll, like, put their little flap out of the water (laughs) so that you can touch them easier. They actually kind of seem to enjoy it. I don't know if that's just me ascribing my own feelings to them. I might be anthropomorphizing them a little bit, but that's just.
0: Well. They're so cute.
1: They're very cute. Very cat-like. How like they they will approach you for you to pet them, but like on <laughs> their terms. So I also read something that said that a lot of times they'll jump out of the water and smack back down on the top of the water and that it's like a territorial display thing. Or they could just be having fun. I don't know. Maybe they're just having a good time.
0: <laughs> Beavers do something similar.
1: We'll smack the water. <laughs>
0: it's, and it's scary when you're not expecting it. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. So stingrays do this big belly flop and it's
0: really cute. Oh.
1: Yeah. So um, that's my bit on the cow nose stingray. Well,
0: thank you, honey. You're welcome. It's a much better one than mine.
1: See, I have fixed us.
0: All right. Well, next week you get the bad one. <laughs>
1: i've done some real clunkers i don't know after i thought the eye eye was kind of creepy it was a weird friend oh wait you did the goblin shark how come you keep picking all these weird ones i don't
0: know man
1: jeez all right
0: (laughs) no one even picked this last one i don't know what i was doing
1: i know you didn't even have to do this (laughs) you did this because you wanted to you sadist all right well that's all we've got for this week Yay! Um, I would like to go ahead and thank everybody who's been listening to the show and especially everybody who's been recommending us because we have seen a lot of growth over the last couple of weeks and that is really exciting to see Um, you can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram just search the title of the show you'll get there I trust you I believe that you can find us
0: <laughs>
1: I'm not going to rattle off every single social media handle we have but um, if you have an animal species you want to hear us review, you can submit those to us, either messaging us on social media works, uh, you know, commenting or tagging us on social media works just fine. If you would like, you can email us at thezooofus@gmail.com. at gmail.com. A transcript of this episode will be made available at justthezooofus.home.blog. And a final note here I would like to thank Louis Zong for the use of his song Adventuring off of his album B Sides.
0: It's very good. It's excellent.
1: Yep. So that's all I had for this week.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you, honey.
1: Can I even say thank you to you? <laughs> I can't. Because uh... I wish you hadn't done it.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone.
1: <laughs> thank you so much for your time. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Hey guys, my name is Tara. And my name is Jessica. And together we co host the podcast, Three Spooked Girls. If you love the paranormal or murder, join us every Monday as we tell our listeners about a new spooky tale or true crime case. We'll have a special drink recipe each episode picked out by me for you to enjoy while we scare the hell out of you. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever the hell else you listen to podcasts. Come hang out with us and get your spooky on.